Welcome to the Body, Mind and Power podcast. I'm your host, Simeland, and in this episode, we're going to talk about does exercise support autophagy or does it break autophagy just because of stimulating mTOR and so on. And uh, it's one of those Q&As I had on my YouTube live streams and this quite an in-depth uh, conversation about everything related to eating protein, stimulating mTOR, accelerating aging, and how does it all relate to fasting and autophagy? So it's a pretty, it's a pretty dense episode, and I, I'm sure you're gonna get some valuable information from it. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. So, as many of you know. Uh, Things like exercise and fasting and caloric restriction, all of those things, they do promote autophagy and uh, cellular clearance and cellular turnover. And there are many benefits to it, longevity benefits, as well as uh, greater uh, fat burning benefits and reduced inflammation and everything related. But uh, there's also the opposite side of that, which the opposite side of autophagy is anabolism and growing, which is mostly regulated by the pathway of mTOR or the signaling of mTOR. And uh, there may be some confusion about mTOR, that mTOR is going to give you cancer and mTOR is going to accelerate aging. The, the reason is that uh, mTOR drives protein synthesis and growth of all your cells. So if your mTOR is activated, then you're growing. And uh, with high levels of mTOR, you're also suppressing autophagy and you're preventing your healthy cells from re being recycled. So it's like, a, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that you do want to have mTOR at inadequate amounts to maintain lean muscle tissue and promote muscle growth, which is also pretty important for longevity. But at the same time, you don't want mTOR to get in the way of autophagy. You still want to get some autophagy because... Uh, deficient autophagy is also linked to accelerated aging <laughs> and uh, not if autophagy promotes all these diseases and that's one of the reasons why in my personal opinion I believe that there are so many modern diseases related to nutrition people simply stay in an anabolic state of elevated mTOR all the time throughout the entire day without ever going into the catabolic side without allowing autophagy to do its work and you know they've done a lot of studies on people who, uh, who, who, or where, where they look at you know, what's their eating window, and they they find that most people stay in a fit state for over like 15 hours. Literally, they spend in a fit state more hours than they spend in a fasted state during the day. They start their eating window, they enter a fit state in the morning by adding, you know, even just a bit of milk or something into their coffee, and that's that starts their eating window because milk will spike mTOR a little bit. And uh, they end their eating window by having a few snacks before going to bed. So they literally rarely ever go into autophagy and uh, they don't gain these benefits of allowing their body to heal itself. And they stay in an anabolic state continuously. And uh, there's where, that's where all most of the issues come from. mTOR being elevated all the time without allowing autophagy to kick in. Now if you flip it over and you actually spend more time in a fasted state like with doing intermittent fasting and daily time restricted eating, whether that be like the warrior diet or OMAD, then uh, you're spending more time in an autophagic state and with lower insulin, lower blood glucose and lower mTOR. So that's much more beneficial for your longevity. And that's more where you actually gain the positive side of mTOR and you gain the positive side of autophagy as well. And uh, that's like a completely different situation, completely different context. And there may be like, yeah, a lot of, all of the confusions about cancer comes from research done on populations that simply eat all the time. And there are virtually no studies on people who uh, do these uh, like longer fasts and uh, who practice intermittent fasting continuously as a, as a lifestyle thing every day. And yeah, I would imagine that the results from those things are very different, which is why I believe we can all contribute to <laughs> the development of science by practicing intermittent fasting every day and uh, making sure that uh, we do like uh, get some you know n equals one experiments about our own results and uh, about our own progress so it's a good thing in a sense in the name of science <laughs> but you know the, to the topic of this live stream that i wanted to talk about is that does exercise stop autophagy because of mTOR 
and uh, you know mTOR gets elevated by certain things like uh, nutrient factors which would be things like insulin uh, blood glucose and amino acids and it also gets elevated by growth factors such as size uh, especially like eccentric exercise it um, enables the mTOR complex to be translocated more towards the cellular membrane and uh, whenever whenever you would eat then mTOR would be used much more efficiently at that moment and uh, that's why you know working out it doesn't necessarily directly make you build muscle because you are in a catabolic state and working out itself promotes autophagy and promotes the breakdown of your cells to a certain extent but it allows it makes your body basically more sensitive to mTOR and the consumption of uh, these uh, nutrients like carbohydrates and amino acids. So uh, resistance exercise itself isn't going to, you know, activate mTOR, which will then stop autophagy and put you into a fit state, if that makes sense. The resistance exercise only facilitates the further activation of mTOR in the post-workout feeding stage when you break the fast or when you stop exercising and when you eat something and uh, they also they also have done studies where mTOR gets activated during exercise if you if you consume adequate amounts of food before working out and when you act when you when you trigger protein synthesis before working out then mTOR is also going to be activated during the workout but if you work out in a fasted state or if you work out in a very low insulin to glucagon ratio state then in that case you don't activate mTOR you do actually the opposite you actually uh, activate AMPK which is the kind of counter opposite of mTOR as well. AMPK promotes autophagy and AMPK promotes ketosis and AMPK basically breaks down all of your body's own fuel sources like liver glycogen and, and so on. So uh, exercise promotes autophagy just because of uh, AMPK as well. And it's not going to break autophagy during the workout unless you have eaten anything before so to say if you work out in a if you work out in a fit state then you don't activate that much autophagy because you have like uh, those amino acids and some uh, extra glycogen you have to burn through uh, working out in a fasted state on the other hand does promote more aut more autophagy they have actually done studies like especially fasted cardio uh, does promote more autophagy than in a fit state uh, partly because of i would believe that it, there's there's going to be more ampk but also because of like lower uh, circulating energy so if you are if you're energy depleted uh you're lower in uh, blood glucose you're lower in insulin you're lower in amino acids you're fasting then that's gonna equal higher ampk and lower mTOR and lower insulin which are all the requirements for autophagy and in the kind of the, the magic or the best thing about it is that that enables you to get the best of both worlds like you're able to build muscle while being in a fast state uh, or not not directly in a fast state but you're able to build fast you're able to build muscle while doing individual fasting every day and you're not going to suffer from muscle catabolism as long as you flip the switch after you break the fast so to say after you stop working out you break the fast with some food then you would want to trigger mTOR so to say and i've been talking about this basically on all of my live streams already that uh, when you are fasting these longer fasts on a daily basis like OMAD or something like that, then you don't want to restrict your protein or you don't want to eat these very low-calorie foods because you want to trigger mTOR and you want to trigger muscle protein synthesis in order to recover, especially if you are working out in a fasted state. And a lot of the misconceptions are that um, you know some people aren't able to build muscle with intermittent fasting just because they don't flip the switch hard enough <laughs> and they don't go into anabolism uh, that hard and the best foods for triggering muscle protein synthesis are things that contain leucine because leucine is the most important or the most anabolic amino acid that triggers muscle protein synthesis and uh, yeah in natural foods the best sources of leucine are uh, eggs whole eggs and uh, some meat as well you can also add, add some carbs into the mix because carbs will spike insulin higher and they will help with the muscle protein synthesis but it's not like necessary carbs or insulin aren't like requirements for muscle growth uh, they do may help but they're not like uh, essential uh yeah that's that's you know basically the central thesis of my book as well metabolic autophagy if you haven't already gotten a copy then 
make sure you go here to Amazon and uh, go get it because it's really pretty packed with all of those things that we talked about here in like very detailed uh, way. I talk about all of these pathways like mTOR, autophagy, AMPK, uh, sirtuins, foxoproteins, freaking uh, stem cells, and uh, and uh, how do you practice intermittent fasting for these different purposes of building muscle, promoting longevity, burning fat, um, maintaining a lean physique year-round, and uh, also being able to gain all of these other benefits of fasting, like protection against Alzheimer's, and uh, yeah, improved improved mitochondrial efficiency, all those things. So yeah, it's a pretty dense book. It's a pretty dense book with uh, quite a lot of references and such. And we're also actually still on the bestseller list in the biochemistry category. And uh, we are actually ahead of Walter Longo's The Longevity Diet book at the moment. <laughs> and uh, the the struggle or the the competition is uh, still carrying on. We're still <laughs> we're still uh, uh, competing with uh, Walter Longo's book. I think it's awesome. It's an awesome book, but I still it's simply like uh, he may be too want to support the podcast or support the YouTube channel. Then the the getting the book is probably the best way of going about it because it's also going to boost the rankings. And uh, if you leave a review, then that's also pretty damn awesome. Or equals high risk of tumors and cancer. Well, that's like very, you have to take it with a huge grain of salt because, uh, you know, in what context, in on what person, in what uh, type of diet and how much mTOR are we talking about, so to say. All of the research that has, is showing that mTOR activates in you know, on these standard American diets that combine a bunch of carbs uh, with these uh, protein and such. Of course, it is true that I would say that a, bodybuilding diet with six meals a day with high carbs and high protein isn't necessarily the best diet for longevity because it will keep mTOR elevated all the time and it may have like some negative side effects on longevity. That's like the biggest issue I have with the mainstream fit fitness diets is that the people who are following them, they don't get the whole story. They don't hear how they don't even know how does mTOR work and uh, how does different nutrients affect mTOR either. So uh, on some on some person who is doing some form of a whole foods based diet and they don't spike mTOR all the time, then for them mTOR isn't gonna be a huge issue. And yeah, for 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 that, I would say that the kind of the goal for managing mTOR is always to uh, keep keep uh, lifting weights so that the, if you do activate mTOR, then that mTOR will help you to build muscle at least, and that's in turn can help with longevity by improving your insulin sensitivity and improving your bone density and so on. While at the same time, still, you want to practice some intermittent fasting and stay in a low mTOR state most of the time. Like, that's why I do uh, one meal a day and I do the warrior diet and so and such, because they're keeping my body in a more um, efficient way of managing mTOR, and I still get some autophagy during the day. But yeah, if you're eating three times a day, then I wouldn't suggest to have your, like, three meals to be high in mTOR and high in anabolism. Unless that's your goal, unless you want to actually be like some sort of a competitive uh, bodybuilder or a fitness athlete. Delauer uh, just did a video saying that fasted gym is superior due to dramatic increasing of mitochondria density, better overall cellular health. Uh, well, fasted training itself you know, it's it's a matter of what you're doing in a post-workout scenario. Faster training is, by definition, more catabolic because you don't have like uh, a bunch of extra nutrients in your bloodstream. Uh, but at the same time, it's not gonna equal a net loss in uh, muscle and a net loss in uh, protein synthesis during a 24-hour period. You can safely fast for like 22 hours a day and spike your mTOR and anabolism with one meal a day while still being able to build muscle as long as that spike in mTOR is really high and it's gonna balance itself out, so to say. The body is really adaptable in a sense and uh, it's always a matter of uh, you, whether or not you're gonna build muscle or not uh, depends on the daily balance between protein synthesis and protein breakdown. So during the fasted wingo and during the workout, you're promoting protein breakdown and during eating, you're promoting protein synthesis. So if you are triggering protein synthesis enough during the during the post-workout scenario, 
then you can safely build muscle with, with very ease. The, the thing is that it's simply more difficult to do so. And there are different ways of going about it. Like uh, you can yeah consume a bunch of anabolic nutrients like eggs and carbs and all those things that will put you into a high state of impure in the post-workout scenario. That would kind of drive protein synthesis really high and it's going to maintain it for several hours after, after the uh, meal. But you can also do it in a way that I talk about in the book called the targeted intermittent fasting, where you basically still fast most of the day. You fast all the way up until you start to work out. Uh, then during the workout, you do like your first warm-up sets. You do some skill work, some balance or some, some something like that. Then you consume a little bit of uh, protein shake from uh, some sort of a clean protein source. Uh, that's going to essentially shield your muscles from excessive catabolism. You're still activating AMPK during the warm-up, and you still uh, promote the uh, kind of sensitivity towards insulin and protein synthesis and mTOR. But you're not going to drive into like a huge catabolic mode, because yeah, like I said, working out in a fasted state is always by definition more catabolic. But taking a small amount of protein during the workout. Uh, which I call the targeted intermittent fasting is basically going to protect against that. And you can still drive a huge protein synthesis and huge anabolic response in a post-workout scenario. The difference is that you're not going to have to consume a bunch of carbs and a bunch of extra, some sort of kind of anabolic agents or anabolic foods to promote protein synthesis in the post-workout. You're going to get it as you stop the workout already. And you're going to basically recover during the workout. So that's what I've been doing like two years and it's been pretty pretty effective it comes from the idea of doing like a targeted keto diet where you consume the exact amount of carbs during the workout but uh in the fasting in the in the fasting context it's simply like protein and i talk about it in the book all you do thanks for the donation uh but yeah like i said if you want to support the channel then the best thing of promoting it or supporting it is to get the book and to drive the rank rankings in Amazon because then other people will also hear about these things who who may not have heard about it before. And another another super jet. Thanks. Thanks from India. That's cool. I have a I have a friend from India who have uh, best tips for consistency on OMAD. So happy I bought your book. Well, with OMAD. Uh, kind of the main things that may get the way I do it is the way I started. I, I was I was already doing the 16 and 8 type of fasting when I started OMAD. And initially, I transitioned over to OMAD by simply having like bulletproof coffee style drink in the noon time. And uh, then I had a workout and then I had my one meal a day, so to say. So it was like a semi OMAD with maybe like 100 calories during the day. And that, that's, you, that's how you can kind of transition over as well. You can still have like some bulletproof coffee during the day and then break your fast in the evening with, a, with, a, with your one meal. Uh, other things that are great for appetite suppressant are like apple cider vinegar and uh, some teas or some sparkling water or something like that. But yeah, the idea is that you still want to minimize Kind of like don't you don't feel any different. You're you're always energized and you're always burning fat. So that's like the best thing about it. I literally don't feel hungry at all. Oh, well, there's like a difference between real hunger and simply getting some some form of uh, hunger craving. I recently did like a three day fast as well, where I was traveling and so on. So it was like the airport and there were like a bunch of people buying Burger King and uh, other. You know, junk food restaurants, it's, it's just so funny to see that how all these peoples are driven by their hunger and cravings. Whereas I haven't eaten anything for like 48 hours already and I was perfectly fine. I was still able to, you know, move around and function at my best. Doo -doo. Gonna get your book. Yeah, that's good. Is nature of mTOR a binary on-off switch or analog with progressive levels? And does it vary based on tissue location, muscle, gut, brain, fat, tendons, etc.? Based on my understanding, it is more of like uh, it's a it's it is like an on and off switch, but uh, to a certain extent, so to say, if it's if you're consuming something that has only like 50 calories and it comes only from fat, then it's probably not going to turn on mTOR. And uh, also, like if you're 
if you're uh, only consuming like 10 grams of protein, then you may activate mTOR to a certain extent by raising protein synthesis a little bit, but it's not going to stay elevated for that long, if that makes sense. Like you're going to go back into a fast state faster versus if you were to consume 50 grams of protein, then that's going to definitely activate mTOR and that's going to keep you in the fit state for longer as well. And that's going to inhibit autophagy much, much more. So um, it is like an on and off switch to a certain extent. And, uh, and, and there's also the thing that it's not like a progressively increasing thing, so to say, that um, if you consume you know, 10 grams of protein, then mTOR is going to be activated. Uh, and versus if you consume like 100 grams of protein, mTOR is also going to be activated. But the difference is that you know, you're not going to have a much greater mTOR response from that one grams of protein. You, you, you will to a certain extent, but, but it's not going to be like uh, that you're going to activate mTOR or return where it's going to drop off. I think the, the kind of the point of diminishing return with mTOR is going to be probably around 20 to 30 grams of protein because there's like that's that's where the research is showing that that's where you maximize protein synthesis like uh, you need only 20 to 30 grams of protein to uh, maximize muscle protein synthesis but how long that uh, synthesis is going to stay elevated depends on how much protein you ended up eating mTOR is going to be simply stay switched on for longer if you consume more protein because it's going to take more time to absorb that protein but yeah it's a good question that you know, even even if you are trying to restrict your protein by going on a low protein diet, then you can't avoid not activating mTOR. You know, you're still gonna activate mTOR. The difference is that you activate mTOR, you're gonna stop autophagy, but you're not going to gain a lot of the benefits of mTOR. You're only gonna gain like very small amounts of benefits, and it's gonna be quite inefficient. A much more smarter way of going about it is to not be worried about protein but still do intermittent fasting because during the fasting state, you're going to gain all of the benefits of autophagy and all of the benefits of low mTOR, while during the feeding stage, you're going to gain the benefits of mTOR and avoiding the negative side effects of mTOR because of you, you, you've been already gaining a lot of the benefits of fasting and autophagy. Do, 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 do. Anything that tastes sweet triggers insulin. Yeah, that is that may be true. Like the cephalic phase response describes how your kind of sensory input and sensory stimuli can stimulate insulin by stimulating some gut receptors and so on. So your kind of mind perceives that okay, there's something sweet coming, something sweet is coming soon, and we better prepare to uh, release insulin. So it's like a preemptive insulin response but the, the problem is that if you don't really have any calories coming from that sweetness like in the case of artificial sweeteners then it's uh, like waste i wouldn't i wouldn't know like um it's probably it's gonna release insulin insulin but um is it gonna like affect autophagy or is it gonna affect mTOR that's something i would like to think more about it probably will blunt the effects of autophagy because of insulin like insulin phosphorylates the activation of these pathways that turn on mTOR so even if it is like a physiological like a placebo insulin response then it's still going to activate mTOR and that's why it's not a good idea to be I don't know putting a lot of sweeteners into your coffee even while you're fasting Better have it black. What are your thoughts on creatine as a supplement for health and better brain function? It promotes not only like muscle performance, uh, but and and also like, but but it also promotes uh, memory and cognition, especially on diets that are quite efficient of creatine. Like vegetarian diets tend to benefit much more from creatine supplementation than omnivorous diets. Uh, but even even so. You would have to consume like quite a lot of red meat to get adequate amounts of creatine and it's much easier to take just like three to five grams of creatine every day and uh, be done with it it's also like very cheap like freaking uh one kilo of creatine costs like seven to nine dollars or something <laughs> 
and uh, one, and creatine supplementation also activates mTOR. So uh, the best time to take creatine isn't during the fasting window, but in a post-workout scenario. For your information. Uh, what is your opinion on going to failure? Do you change your intensity while on a long fast? You don't necessarily have to hit failure to, you know, build muscle or trigger mTOR or muscle protein synthesis. You just have to stimulate it to a certain extent. There are many things that promote muscle hypertrophy, like the intensity aspect is there, but also like volume. If you do one set to complete failure, then it may help with, you know, triggering the muscle building signal. But um, if you kind of de decrease the intensity, but do multiple sets, then that's also gonna, it can cause like a similar metabolic response. So it's, there are many ways of going about it. Like I'm not an expert on like uh, these physi physiology of resistance training and so on, but I do know that you can build muscle by either doing uh, lower repetition strength-based reps with, between like four to six reps. That's what I've been using. Uh, myself in the past and you can also build muscle by doing higher reps uh, such as you know doing calisthenics with reps between 12 and 15 reps so it's always a matter of like overall load and uh, overall stimulus that you're going to provide over the course of the week even because the one single workout itself uh, isn't going to be like indicative of uh, your progress you have to kind of gauge your overall volume and overall uh, load over the course of the week but in terms of going to failure then that depends on like yeah what kind of a set are we talking about and what kind of a weight are we talking about uh, i do suggest that maybe like near failure is probably a better way of going about it uh, maybe hitting like 90 percent of your maximum and always having a few like extra reps in your bank because it's going to prevent you know poor form if you start sacrificing form for hitting failure then that's going to simply create wrong movement patterns and they're going to cause some injuries or something in the future and secondly it's also going to fry your nervous system much more if you completely hit failure and it's going to take you like a longer time to recover more frequency tends to be better at least that's what's uh, research showing that people who work out frequently more frequently uh, then those people tend to have more muscle and usually it's, it's a good idea to have at least at minimum at minimum two full body workouts a week but i think that's not going to be optimal you can definitely you know aim for something like three to four and i myself usually have like five workouts every week and that's going to be pretty good because the the muscle protein synthesis is going to stay elevated for more frequently and whenever you do eat then those the food will be you know helping to um, recover you I just took now five grams of creatine. Thank you for the answer. <laughs> Cheers. I, I'm going to take it later. I just finished my workout and I'm going to have it after this live stream. If I OMAD at night keto after strength training, how helpful is a morning brisk walk for autophagy? Well, that's it's it will be fr pretty amazing for that. Like uh, simply any type of physical activity will promote uh, fat oxidation to a certain extent. And that's going to, you know, mobilize some of your fat stores and promote ketosis. And it can help with autophagy a little bit, like brisk walking. You should, you should, you should go for walks regardless of when you eat and uh, how much you fast, so to say. Because uh, walking is an amazing way of simply increasing your, uh, you know, total daily energy expenditure and uh, getting some movement into a day. Even if I'm doing these longer fasts, like three, three to five fasts, then I still walk every day and get like 10,000 over 10,000 steps or something. Yeah, so yeah, usually starting a morning with a brisk walk is a pretty amazing because you do want to move your body after you wake up in some shape or form to kind of, you know, get the limb flowing again, uh, get your brain running and get some fresh air. So yeah, I usually do uh, go out when I wake up and I do it like uh, frequently throughout the day as well. And uh, da -da -da -da. Okay, we have a super chat. 
what are some advantages, disadvantages of morning walks after evening strength training and keto OMAD? Okay, I just talked about it. You know, the morning walk is amazing. Like, you should walk every morning, I think. And it's not going to, like, blunt your, you know, the adaptation from the strength training previous day. Like, it's actually going to promote recovery because you get the blood flowing and you can oxygenize your cells and so on. Even if you do OMAD, like, if you're doing OMAD, then you shouldn't sit on a couch all day. You should still, you know, move around as much as you can. I do my exercise in a pool with 60 pounds, 16 pounds of weight on wrists and ankles. It's intense. Do you know how water resistance converts when lifting weights in water? Uh, I wouldn't know like uh, specifically how it's going to transition over into like a muscle building when, you know, swimming with weights, but uh, it would probably work the same muscles as regular swimming. Like, depending on what type of a swimming do, are you doing a breaststroke? Are you doing a backstroke? And uh, yeah, it would build those same muscles. The kind of the general principles are still there that you can still build muscle with it uh, to a certain extent. And if you increase the weights of those of those uh, ankle weights, then you can you know prog still progressively overload. But there may, you're not going to be like Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman <laughs> by swimming with weights. That's for sure. Do you believe the correlation between eating red meat and cancer? Can I eat red meat daily? Uh, well, I would say that it's again, yeah, depending on the context. So to say, if a person is eating other processed foods with that meat, then of course you can say that meat causes cancer. but it's not the red meat itself, it's the processed foods. And also, if you combine red meat with a bunch of these other mTOR stimulating foods like carbs, then, uh, or, or like some pros, you, you know, weight shakes and hard gainers and dextrose powders and so on, then yeah, you, get, you are going to drive the mTOR and you got to drive some form of anabolism, which may, like, uh, down the line, can lead to some uh, cancers. But on let's say on a different context someone who is, who is eating a clean diet who doesn't have like extra carbs then uh, for them the mTOR response or so the red meat eating is also going to cause a different reaction just because their metabolic status is completely different uh, but to a question can you eat red meat daily then i would say that there's not depends on like how much uh so to say that if you are eating red meat, but you're still practicing caloric deficit, then that's going to balance yourself out as well. You're going to promote autophagy because of the caloric restriction. So it's never like one-size-fits-all solution. It's always going to depend on the individual, how much calories you're consuming, how much protein you're consuming, how much fasting you're doing, what kind of exercise, how much exercise, and uh, yeah, how sensitive you are to those nutrients. But I myself, I, I myself just wouldn't eat red meat every day just because of like safety, you know, I, I don't, you don't, you don't need to eat red meat every day. And, and you can like, uh, still make yourself more sensitive to the consumption of protein. And you can set, make yourself more, you can promote autophagy even while eating, if you consume the right foods. And I, I simply eat red meat, maybe like on those harder workout days, where I need more recovery. And on other days, on rest days, I do eat like protein. I'm not going to restrict my protein, but I get my protein from uh, other other sources like uh, some fish and uh, some vegetables and eggs. But you know, red meat, red meat. It, there's nothing wrong about eating red meat itself. Like if you if you do practice some form of intermittent fasting and you're still working out, then I wouldn't say that mTOR mTOR is going to activate it, or red meat is going to activate mTOR, and that's going to give you cancer. It's a matter of context, so to say, how much and when and how frequently. The frequency aspect is the biggest part, like uh, spiking mTOR and spiking insulin very frequently throughout the entire day. That's where all of the, like, most of the issues come from. If you spike it infrequently and every once in a while in the right time, especially after a workout in a post-workout state, then uh, in that case, it's going to be like a completely different 
completely different story and it's going to cause a different uh, results. Uh, do we have to completely avoid gluten, dairy, and sugar in ketosis? Well, theoretically, if you only eat one slice of bread, which I would imagine it has maybe like 7 to 10 grams of carbs, then it's not going to interfere with ketosis that much if you eat it with like other keto-friendly foods and you like your daily macros are uh, still like very low carb. In that case, it's not going to be a problem. And you can even add like some honey into your tea in the evening or something like that. And it's not going to be a cause. It's not going to kick you out of ketosis specifically. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the question may be that would the gluten interfere with your general health or the dairy or the lactose or the sugar? Then in that case, it might uh, if you are like very kind of, if you have a very, if you're very resistant to it or desensitized to it, if you have some autoimmune conditions, then in that case, uh, some you know, uh, some people with celiac disease, they even break out with just like a very small dose of gluten, even if it comes from like skincare products or something. So yeah, in that case, it may be an issue. But in general, most people they don't have like very severe gluten intolerance, and they can safely, you know, you don't have to worry about eating a piece of cake at a birthday party and fearing that it's going to kick you out of ketosis or fearing that it's going to you know give you some form of you know disease it's going to give you diabetes or something it's not going to be an issue if you do it again like very infrequently if the frequency is very low and i do think it's actually a better idea to every once in a while still introduce them just so your body would maintain the ability to tolerate to them so you don't want to become gluten intolerant just because you haven't eaten gluten in two years, <laughs> in that sense. I myself consume gluten maybe like, I don't you know, go out of my way to eat bread or uh, eat cake or whatever, but uh, I'm not going to be manically obsessed about it either. I get, it, I get exposed to gluten maybe like once a quarter. <laughs> and that, that's like a thinking of, thinking of it as a, like a hormetic dose. I'm not going to be worried about it, but I'm not going to be... I still want to minimize my exposure to gluten and all these other uh, anti-nutrients like, you know, lectins or uh, or whatever they may be. Is it important to avoid fat on your post-workout meal when you're doing IF keto but want to eat some carbs post-workout? Uh, well, if you are going to eat carbs post-workout, then I would yeah definitely suggest to keep the fat very low. Because uh, you don't want to have like high amounts of fatty acids in your bloodstream with with uh, high insulin, because uh, fatty acids can can uh, can uh, can uh, can uh, dysregulate your glucose metabolism, so to say. That uh, they're gonna simply your body will get confused about what kind of fuel sources will I burn first, and uh, with high amounts of insulin, that fatty acids will also get and kind of promote the uh, increase in triglycerides and so i wouldn't ever kind of eat carbs with fat i would always eat my carbs with a low fat context and with higher protein or like leaner protein if you're breaking a fast and staying on a more low carb template then you don't have to worry that much about fat but then again like there's still a limit where you should uh, kind of draw the line i wouldn't make my post-workout meal like a stick of butter, if that makes sense. <laughs> I would eat, I would eat like whole food uh, fat sources. How about exercise on a seventy-two-hour fast? If so, what intensity? You don't like. Um, it's not like mandatory to work out on a seventy-two-hour fast, but it's gonna help with uh, like burning extra calories, and it's also gonna help with uh, activating more AMPK and so on. But you don't need to do a whole lot to get the kind of benefits. You can simply do a few push-ups, reach maybe 70 to 80% of your, of your maximum with the push-ups. And uh, that's already going to give you like a pretty significant response. It's, at least it's going to keep the signal alive that you need muscle and you need to do push-ups. <laughs> and yeah, usually I don't go out of my way to go ha have like very long workouts doing these fasts. But I may do like 10, 10 minutes of calisthenics with push-ups, some walking lunges, some abs, and some resistance bands and pull-ups and so on. But I usually hit maybe, yeah, like I said, 
70, 70 to 80% of my uh, one rep max. It doesn't actually feel much different to work out uh, with like your own body weight when you're doing uh, fasting. Does ashwagandha maca root break a fast? Yeah, I believe, I believe so because they uh, do, it depends on the egg and how much, like if you're taking one gram of ashwagandha mixed in your coffee or something then or maca root one gram of maca root then that's not going to be probably an issue but um you know any more than that like any more than a tablespoon any more than a teaspoon is probably going to break it fast any problems with eating nuts as primary fat source uh well not like necessarily but the, the nuts themselves tend to have like some uh, other anti-nutrients as well that you wouldn't want to you know make your primary fat source as like uh, i would still try to get most of my fats from uh, whole food complete or like complete whole food sources like uh, eggs fish and uh, meat and then add maybe like a little bit of olive oil and some butter to certain foods but uh, i do have like nuts every once in a while but they're not a staple i don't have them every day uh but i'm like not obsessively or, or i'm not obsessively removing them either so uh, nuts themselves depends on you know how many nuts you should eat depends on yeah how you respond to them what you're like uh how how sensitive to you are, you are to them because some people do get some allergies or something from nuts and also like uh if nuts make you over consume calories and make you gain weight then you should kind of eliminate them because it's easier to not eat the nuts than than it is to uh try to you know avoid them or try to over exercise them uh, i just wanted to say i really appreciate you taking the time to reply to personal messages on youtube yeah, well, I do reply to like 90% or 80% of all my comments on YouTube videos. So that's, I think it's a pretty good thing to uh, get back at the community and also uh, get some feedback. I do it like once a day, I simply go through uh, all of those videos and I've been doing it for like two years straight. <laughs> I've replied to almost, yeah, like 80% of my comments for like two years. Mm, do you follow the keto macros of 70% fat during your feeding window? Uh, probably not. Like I haven't measured my macros that specifically, but I would say that my fat macros are somewhere between maybe 50% or something because you don't need a bunch of fat to maintain ketosis and you don't need like extra fat to gain all the other benefits of autophagy or uh, mTOR or, or whatever. So fat is simply like a caloric, you know, uh, leverage that you adjust according to your caloric needs. I would prefer getting maybe like a little bit of extra carbs from healthier carb sources like some beetroot or uh, some fruit or some uh, carrots or every once in a while I may have like some more carbohydrates. But uh, yeah, like uh, that's that's in my opinion a better source of increasing your calories rather than going for the super hardcore keto approach where you eat butter for the sake of butter and uh, sprinkle a lot of oil onto your food you get you do get like a significant amount of calories from uh, whole foods like uh, meat and uh, eggs and fish so uh, the the fat the fat calories are yeah somewhere between maybe 50% of my macros and maybe i would say that uh yeah like i said that uh, you don't need to kind of overdo the fat and yeah, and again like uh, at the same time you don't have to uh, worry for me personally at least like i'm doing omad so i don't have to eat lean meat to uh, create a caloric deficit because i already have like a bunch of calories that i have to eat so the fats that i eat so the meat i do eat or the proteins that i do eat tend to have already some fat attached to it like some uh fattier pieces of meat or some eggs and fish so I'm, I'm still getting adequate amounts of fat 
it's it's just not it's not coming from these um like uh exogenous sources if that makes sense he's eating say four to six eggs daily okay depends on again like what context <laughs> so eggs on a low carb diet are probably fine mm, uh, as long as you don't like over fry them and completely oxidize the cholesterol uh, i i personally keep the eggs slightly runny and i try to maintain the uh, yolk so that's that is going to prevent the oxidation of cholesterol but on another diet for instance you're eating a bunch of carbs with you know grains and such like the toast and egg breakfast it's the worst thing for your health literally <laughs> because uh the carbs are going to cause inflammation or the grains are going to cause inflammation and the carbs are going to oxidize or glycate the protein from the eggs as well as oxidize the cholesterol which in turn will promote like uh, heart atherosclerosis but on the other hand if you don't eat the carbs and you don't eat the bread then you're not, not going to oxidize the cholesterol and it's going to be perfectly healthy and it's actually very beneficial for you so it's very many context dependent certain diets do promote disease and certain foods can promote disease if you combine if you put them into a specific context and into specific macronutrient ratios while on the other hand you take that same diet or that same food you put it into a different macronutrient ratio you're going to get a completely different uh, response okay i'm going to start wrapping this pot live stream up uh, i'm going to pick a few last questions uh, what is example of your last meal well uh, last night i broke my free day fast with some uh, some sauerkraut and uh, some uh, fried eggs kept the yolk alive <laughs> and uh, then i had a little bit of chicken as well but i i also have had uh, some uh, beetroot so it was like um it was like low to moderate carb moderate protein and moderate fat i probably ate at a caloric deficit as well because i didn't want to eat too many calories after breaking the fast but yeah, usually that's what I eat almost every day. Some eggs, some vegetables, and some meat. Tonight I'm going to eat, again, a few eggs and uh, some cabbage roll with mushrooms and some meat, like, rolled inside a cabbage. And it's going to be basically like a burrito, but without the burrito or without the gluten and a healthier version of it. How about hard-boiled eggs? Hard-boiled eggs, well, they're not going to be that nutritious or not going to be that beneficial as uh, the slightly raw eggs because you the heat kind of destroys most of the nutrients. So uh, kind of soft-boiled egg is like a gray zone where you can... It's a good idea to still like cook the egg white, but you don't want to cook the egg yolk because uh, the egg white is where all the allergens tend to be but the yolk is where all the nutrients are so it's it's a delicate balance between cooking the egg <laughs> exactly right um, isn't beetroot high carb well it is moderate carb i would say it's not like high carb the same way as potatoes or rice uh, it has much much fewer carbs and uh, beetroot has other like beneficial benefits like it's going to boost nitric oxide and promote blood flow which is very very important for longevity okay last question uh, seem do you see an advantage to trying to game the two different carb parallel pathways by selecting from fructose and glucose pathways during if refeed a few berries for fructose 50 grams and 30 gram carbs uh, well there are you know uh, different pathways for uh, glycogen resynthesis 
such as the fr such as fructose and the glucose but the thing is that you don't necessarily need uh, fructose to um, replenish muscle glycogen fructose is mostly metabolized by the liver and uh, you know in order to make your muscles grow bigger or promote hypertrophy then you would want to have only like muscle glycogen that's why uh, glucose I would I'm I would say that glucose is still beneficial more beneficial than fructose because glucose will go to the muscles and uh, fructose will only like go to the liver there may be like some benefits to replenishing liver glycogen just a little bit but I don't want to but you don't want to like uh, overfill the liver glycogen because uh, fructose can also be very easily converted into triglycerides extra fructose which in turn can promote fat gain as well as other like health problems so uh, maybe like a very small amount of fructose is okay like you said those berries uh, but I wouldn't like overdo the fructose if you want to replenish a glycogen, I would mostly focus focus on glucose if you're going for the uh, glycogen resynthesis path. But the muscle glycogen gets refilled even if you're not eating anything. Like you can refill muscle glycogen while fasting. Like they have done a lot of studies where where uh, two groups, one group consumes a carb shake after the workout, the second group consumes only water. And uh, by hour, like six hours after the workout, the group that didn't consume anything, no, no glucose, no carbs, just water, they were still able to resynthesize their glycogen by like 75% of it. So, yeah, it's, it comes from uh, converting your own body fat into muscle glycogen. So, yeah, your muscle glycogen can still uh, recover uh, by not eating anything and especially like if you're eating keto then you can still you can still resynthesize re your muscle glycogen and i think that's a wrap you know on the last question on the note of the last question you know uh, i mentioned that study in my book as well metabolic autophagy so uh yeah the idea is that you don't necessarily have to go to the highly anabolic route of you know going into very high carb high protein diet in order to build muscle or promote longevity you can safely build muscle in a very sustainable way uh, by practicing uh, intermittent fasting by practicing the keto diet by practicing clever strategic carbohydrate refeeds at the exact amount or the exact time where you would benefit from them and you can get it like all of the other benefits of of the other side of the coin which are related to autophagy and uh, longevity and so on Alright, that's it for this episode. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. Also, you can get my book, Metabolic Autophagy, on Amazon. It's uh, still doing great on the rankings and I hope to keep it there. So if you have found any value from uh, any of my content, like my blog or YouTube or the podcast, then the best way to support it is to get the book. And also leave a review on Amazon because it's going to help to kind of spread the message. So yeah, head over to the show notes and you can get Metabolic Autophagy on Amazon. But other than that, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.